Welcome to the Painting of the Week podcast, where we look at some of the most significant paintings throughout history. Introducing your hosts, Phil Grabsky and Laura Bentham. This, this could go many different ways. Well, welcome back to uh, Painting of the Week. It is a beautiful sunny day in Brighton after the most torrential rain last night. And uh, I'm Phil. And I think I'm Laura. I think, I think I'm still here. I think you're still Laura. <laughs> we were, uh, we're giggling because we were just admiring the extraordinary uh, set of fridge magnets. <laughs> Which I didn't even know that you that, did. That are available in all good bookshops, <laughs> at all good stores and online, particularly oh. from our website. The exhibition on screen uh, set of eight fridge magnets. And frankly, if you haven't got them all, well, I, I, know. Don't, I don't know. Well, I've now just witnessed this is the first one I've ever seen in the in the flesh. I have got an issue, though, unfortunately, Phil, that I couldn't stick this on my fridge because I'm one of those people that has... The wooden front. The wooden front. Yeah, I know. So it'll have to be on the washing machine. Washing machine's Sorry okay. Sorry about that. A lot of people see it. Or just glue them on. <laughs> in the middle of my... Newly painted, which Matt has just painted, actually. He'd be really pleased. The question is, which of the eight is, is, is your favourite? I think uh, give that Manet a drink. Give that Manet drink <laughs> is perhaps the silliest. Show me the Monet. Show me the Monet, I think, is mine. It's definitely my favourite. Um, what would Frida do? That's a good one. Mm-hmm. But the one that I've just given you there is a chip off the old block, yeah. which is the Michelangelo one. Anyway, yes, we're actually here to talk about uh, an Italian painter, <laughs> Andrea Mantegna. <laughs> and um, we're looking today at the triumphs of Caesar. If you, again, if you go to the website, seventh-art.com, uh, the picture will be there and you can, you can have a look at it. Um, I first came across these, this set of paintings. Oof, that's quite scary. 20, <laughs> yeah, I don't know, 23, 24 years ago when I was making a series on the history of Rome for the BBC and A&E in the United States and ABC Australia and blah, blah, blah. Um, called I Caesar, the rise and fall of the Roman Empire. And mm-hmm. I did an awful lot of research. So I looked at paintings that depicted the Roman Empire and the history of Rome. Ultimately, I didn't use any of them. I only used contemporary visuals. So statues from the period, paintings from the period. I didn't use anything that was done after the event where people have interpreted it. What? One, because often... Um, as you see in this picture, it probably bears only passing resemblance to what it was really like. Right. It says much more about the time in which the painting was uh, created, probably more than, you know, somebody in the, what, 15th century trying to imagine what ancient Rome was like. Oh, yeah, okay. Uh, is less likely to be accurate. So what did you use instead, sorry? Statues, did you say? A lot of statues. <laughs> Where were um, they? No, but we used contemporary artworks. Oh, okay. So, for example, you're very fortunate. I mean, all the all the key characters that I talk about, including Julius Caesar, there are very beautiful statues that were done of of them, uh, and it happened to be the case that Roman art at that time 
was um, did kind of go after passable likenesses. It's very hard mm. for us to know for sure, isn't it? Of course. Uh, yes. But um, whereas if you look at Egyptian art, so some time before the Roman Empire, then there's not so much character in the faces of the pharaoh. But when you get to the Romans, um, I mean, you can see it. You can find a statue of an emperor and you will be able to know that's Hadrian, that's Constantine, that's Justinian. That's it's amazing. Um, Where did you see the majority of those statues in? We, we travelled. I travelled for that project 50,000 miles around the Mediterranean. I went everywhere. Oh, that sounds nice. It was amazing. And... Um, <laughs> And uh, places like Syria and Libya and Jordan. Actually, mm. it was particularly exciting in those countries where the Roman rem remains had been covered in sand. Right. Which was a great preservative. And, you know, like in North Africa, peoples were more nomadic. In Europe, a Roman city was often built on a confluence of a river, of rivers, for example. So somewhere like Trier, oh, there's so many examples but that meant that after the Romans, it was constantly rebuilt and rebuilt and rebuilt. And oh. then there's these devastating wars, most recently, the Napoleonic Wars, and then the First World War and the Second World War. So things were destroyed. Uh, Paris, London, these places, all, all the Roman ruins are built upon. Yeah. Even Rome disappears, basically, under... Slightly different, but it disappears under more recent constructions or just under... Dirt. Anyway, North Africa, where you had these fantastic Roman cities, but then when they're abandoned and the Romans retreat, these are nomadic peoples. So yes. they tended not to be kind of built upon and rebuilt upon. They tended to just be absorbed by the sands of time, literally. Um, so that when they were uncovered, they're perfectly preserved. Yeah, amazing. It, they are absolutely extraordinary. Um, so painting plays such an important part in the way that we visualise history. So people might see this and think, oh, yeah, that's how the Romans were. Or we've talked before about the David painting of Napoleon crossing the Alps on his mighty steed. And he wasn't. He crossed it on a donkey yeah. or a mule or something. Mm. Um, and the Romans, there's nothing the Romans didn't know. So Augustus had apparently, according to one of the writers, and he's going to be a bit careful with, trusting them entirely, but still. Yeah. He was small, he had bad teeth, he had he wore uh, platform shoes to ride him up. <laughs> um, you know, and he was he was elderly. Well if you see the statues, the statues are of somebody you know, somebody's just walked out of a heavyweight boxing <laughs> boxing ring. Handsome, yeah. broad shouldered, wearing military armor. Because nobody really knew nobody knew what their emperor looked like. No. So the only way you got to know was the legions would disappear off into France or Spain or wherever it might be, North Africa, and they would take statues of the emperor and they wanted to show someone that was young, virile, strong. Yeah. But also they probably didn't want to upset him. And they definitely didn't I mean, we had this conversation as well about... They didn't, you know, definitely didn't want to upset him. No. So you're not going to make him with his platform shoes on, are you? No. Well, if you do, you're going to make them good ones. So <laughs> we have to be a little bit cautious when we look at... Um, <laughs> Mantegna's portraits because this particular one which is the ninth of the nine yep I believe mm -hmm. and I had trouble I said to you today 
had a little bit of trouble trying to find them all together in one go. However, if anyone wants to take a little trip, yeah, they can go to Hampton Court Palace. They're all in Hampton Court Palace. Hampton Court is an absolutely fantastic place. Yeah. By the way, this is the first, not the ninth. That's Sorry, it. I meant there's nine, but this is the first. Okay. But this one is your favourite? Or not? Or you're not allowed to say? I think, uh, well, to be honest, I chose this one just because it's the first of the nine. Okay. And uh, they are quite, it's quite an extraordinary group. I mean, Mantegna is a great artist and this is considered to be I mean, we should never pay much attention to those words. It is considered to be. We can make our own decisions. But it is considered to be his masterpiece. And actually, when you oh, look okay. at the nine mm-hmm. across a whole wall of mm. Hampton Court, mm. Hampton Court, for those who haven't been, Laura, is... Uh, <laughs> oh, don't, don't tell everybody that. I would, uh, isn't there a maze there? There is a maze Well, there. I would get lost in the maze because I like, I like those sort of things. It is a fantastic place. Mm. Um, obviously, it was the... Uh, the palace, Henry VIII, and the, but it's it's very it's it's stunning, beautiful, and it's got some great artwork in it. I'm going to go. I promise. Um, I think a little day out. Yes, we um, all say this. I know. Well, and then we you get too busy. Well, you, we go, should... you go. You go. You go to Washington. All right. Well, we should do. And it. I go to Liverpool. <laughs> um. <laughs> so these were um painted in the 15th century we've well, probably got some details because i know you've done uh, some notes well a little bit but more mine was all about caesar to be fair i was getting right into his story okay but because i had a bit of trouble finding um the paintings all in one hit i did think to you to myself i wonder how we're going to do today because i didn't know how which one you wanted to pick or if you wanted to do them all so I thought we would end up sort of scrolling through each painting, but actually it's much I think better we'll just to look do at this one. number one. Well, if we look at this painting. It's busy. Called The Picture Bearers. Mm. And what these paintings do basically is they celebrate the triumphs of Caesar. So there is a bit of history here, which is worth pointing out. Um, Rome was a republic. Uh, in say the by the first century BC, where two senators would become consuls, share the, but they would share share the rule of Rome between them for twelve months, uh-huh. and then they would be replaced by somebody else. And the idea was to make sure that it, it, it didn't become a de facto monarchy. It's right. quite interesting, mm-hmm. but you know, humans being humans, men being men. Um, People were always trying to line their own pockets and so forth. And one of the things was then to become a proconsul of a of a province or to become a military commander and go off to an existing province or or even better perhaps conquer a new province. Yeah. All of which really was to generate wealth and booty and money, slaves. I mean, it was um, you know, we we tend to over romanticize the Roman Empire, you know those nineteen fifties Hollywood films, and um, the, the Romans were brutal. Mm. And you know, in passing, okay. people talk about a million Gauls being killed by Julius yeah. Caesar. Mm-hmm. Okay, pause. One million. Yes. At a time when the population of Britain can't have been much more. Than, I don't know. I can't remember. I don't know what it was, but it was wouldn't have been much more than that. That's a huge now. 
in the ancient world, basically a big a big number is given an even big number. Yeah. So people would say, yeah, there were 300,000 soldiers that day. There might only have been 50,000. What they're saying is there was a lot. Yes, okay. But a million, whether it's exactly a million or not, is a lot of Gauls were killed. Yes. And, you know, the Romans, you know, they crucified people. Mm. That's Mm. a very, very brutal way to kill somebody. Yeah. Um, They were also very pragmatic so that if if you succumbed to their rule and you... Then they would, you know, let you let, let you stay. So you know, in Britain, for example, um, tribal leaders here would would become Roman, and they'd start to live their life as Romans, and they enjoyed it. They enjoyed. We've got examples where near where we live of local Rome, local British tribal leaders becoming de facto Romans with their villas and their baths yeah. and their togas and. Well, anyway, yeah, look, like you say, when you get to that stage, quite a nice life for for those at the top. Yes, now, purple togas. What these proconsuls and what these military um, commanders were very nervous about, essentially, was being forgotten. Right back in Rome, and ultimately, most of them, Julius Caesar for sure, actually wanted to go back to Rome. And and establish themselves, re-establish themselves in positions of power. And so, what they were what they were allowed to do as military commanders, as proconsuls, was to march through Rome in what was called a triumph. Uh huh. Okay. And in that triumph, you would have, you know, when Julius Caesar um, defeated in the great battle of Elysia, he defeated the great Celtic king. Vercingetorix. I'm so pleased you said that. He he was practicing that all week. It was the most amazing. Mm. Vercingetorix. The tangent's going off on a tangent. But Vercingetorix lived in a was in a uh, hill fort, very well defended, and Julius Caesar basically um, decided to encircle the entire hill Mm. with fortifications. This is kilometer after kilometer after kilometer of fencing, ditches. Spikes in the ditches. Yeah. It's an amazing. And he basically starves them out, fights, you know, draws them out, fights and defeats them. Anyway, Vercingetorix and the booty and slaves and the rest of it were then taken. So Vercingetorix taken back in chains back mm. to Rome, um, where I believe he was executed. Uh, his his um the wealth that the Romans, you know, basically Julius Caesar then marches through Rome yeah, um, in a triumphal way through the forum with his slaves, with his booty, um, triumph, triumphant soldiers behind him. And he's, re- he's basically saying, look at me. Yes. Now, I do know that these, this particular um, triumph, these nine paintings are not of any specific... Um, uh, uh, triumph or campaign, Caesar, Julius Caesar was very active. I mean, he he conquered Gaul after after a, bit, a couple of setbacks, Britain to some extent, mm. in Spain, in other places too. But if we look in in this first picture, if you look at the the um, pen, pennants, no, what's the word? Not flags, but the uh, the paintings that they're holding. They kind of painted. Painted flags. Right. <clears throat> um, they're obviously, what do they look like? They don't look 
I mean, there was no cities like that in that they would have conquered. These are contemporary to Mantegna Italian towns and cities. Um, so what we know straight away is actually what Mantegna is talking about is either he's got no idea what ancient Rome looked like. No. But that's a bit unlikely, bearing in mind he's, in, he's Italian and he's got Roman ruins around him. Or he's actually ref making reference to his own time. And indeed, we know that's the case because we know that these were um, probably commissioned by a guy called Gonzaga, who was in charge of Mantua. And so okay. yes, that's, yeah. what he's really saying is he's saying, that my boss, the yes. man who's commissioned this, yes. is as great as Julius Caesar. And these, I'm... I'm slightly guessing now, but I would imagine that Man Mantua is one of those cities that then obviously had control over lands around it. And these are probably depicting some of the towns and cities, if not Mantua itself, and some of the towns and cities that Gonzaga controls. Right. These guys, which are kind of partly supposed to be Romans, but are also dressed in Renaissance dress to some extent, you know, they're heralding Gonzaga. It's all, it's all a contemporary message. Which often, you know, even when you read, they say that, you know, when you read a history book, if you read the history of the Roman Empire, it, that history will change depending on the period in which it was written. Right, And yes. the attitude towards mm -hmm. the Romans will mm -hmm. change. So right now, people will approach the Romans perhaps more than ever before in terms of, of their brutality, their imperialism, uh, their, their, their use of slaves. Victorians saw things differently. Yeah. Early 20th century saw things differently. So, but this is as much about 15th century city-states. And we've talked about that with other artists, haven't we? But, you know, right now I'm working on a film about Caravaggio where to understand his life, you have to understand the rivalry between Rome and Naples. <laughs> and Naples was the second biggest city in Europe and was far bigger than Rome. Rome was Rome was small at that time. I just thought like one big mass history train here. <laughs> I'm gonna get off the train now. So <laughs> I mean it's it's but I mean it, it, I mean it's it's very beautifully rendered. I'm just looking at one of the nine. Oh but, I know. You know, when you first look at it, it's like you go to Hampton Court and you're overwhelmed by armor and tapestries and you know just the building itself and you see these nine paintings and they're very very busy and it's easy to be like oh it's too much oh, yeah I that's can't. true that's when you stop mm. you go, all right mm. what am i actually looking at here um these paintings are sort of marble like aren't they the yeah. way he actually paints yeah. i've obviously looked at some of his others and uh i think it's just they uh, yeah Every time I say I love something more, when I started looking at these paintings, I was just like, oh, these are, they're so, they're amazing. Such a different style from all the others. So I don't know. But uh, I love them. I really do. And it's like marble. It is like marble, almost like glass, some of it, the fabric. So... Yeah. <laughs> what do we know also about um, Mantegna? Well, 
but he that's where he came from Man, Man, Mantova which is where you said yeah I've been looking at all the other ones though and then you said about doing these these oh looking at other works yes <laughs> what did you see I don't, I, don't... I like that oculus in the in that uh, in the in the palace which I can't pronounce <laughs> What? So I left it to you because you were making me laugh earlier. There's that, um, there's an Oculus where it looks through to the sky. Oh, the hole in the roof. Oh, I really, really love that. Yeah. Of the, of the oh, painted yes, room. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. The whole room is painted. And there's people looking over the edge, aren't yes, they? Yeah, yeah, but yeah, they're yeah. real sweet comedy. It's like a little comedy piece in my eyes anyway. Well, I'm only guessing, but I mean, I don't know his history well enough but I mean one of my favourite buildings in the world is the Pantheon in Rome yeah you've said that before actually yeah well, so that's Laura, another place to go Laura, quite a lot of this I've said before <laughs> no, no we're not both repeating ourselves surely it's, it's going to happen but I mean that's an amazing building until 19 something or other until the, 19, until the 20th century it was the biggest concrete uh, dome in the world built mm. by the Romans and it's got a big hole in the roof where rain comes in. I've been in there when it's been raining. It's amazing. Um, and I, he must have he must have seen it or heard about it, you know. What, Mantegna must have heard about yeah. it? Or, yeah, for sure. Oh, which is why you think he's done the Oculus? I suspect I mean, so. we've gone completely off the painting now, but it, I think people, if they, well, I mean, I'm sure every person that was listening to this, if they know your work, then they obviously know this paint, this, this piece. And I, mean, I just love it because of the whole. It's quite. It's got the, quite a little bit of comedy to it. There's a woman with a, and a bit of wood across it, and it looks like there's a bucket of water onto it. So it looks like if she pulls the wood, that's going to come down onto onto you. Oh, okay. So there's some. There's some real sweet little sense of humour. Some of these artists, for sure. I mean, it must have been quite a time. So. I mean, I think he's a, mm. he's a great. I mean, well, let's go back to our painting. We're looking yeah, go at. back to the painting. But I he mean, was known for his foreshortening, wasn't he? Um, extreme perspectives. Perspective, but there's yeah. not so much in this, I don't think. It's quite flat, actually. Yeah. Even the flags are quite, you know, are on the almost on the same plane as the uh, the, the um, trumpeters. That's what I remember reading about him, about that he's known for his extreme perspectives. But when I looked at these paintings, I really couldn't see any of it. So This is um, tempera on canvas, okay, which is quite interesting. You were talking about the, the, the way that it looked. So this is where the pigment is mixed um, with uh, a kind of an agent that fixes it, in this case, egg. Oh, and um, and that's how you got that yeah. marble. So it's, it's it's a very different. It's almost pastel, isn't it? Mm. It's a very different look than say mm. oils. Mm. Uh, and it's paint again. It's, it's paint, painted onto canvas. Oil painting again. Well, oil painting really comes down from Northern Europe about this time. So Leonardo, when he's starting out he starts to experience the first time that oil paintings are, are arriving in Italy. Okay. And they're absolutely, they're dumbfounded. They, they just think it's fantastic um, oh. because the, the, the density and the richness yeah. and the, um, 
It's actually quite funny, isn't it? Think about it. They didn't have TV or anything, and suddenly this painting arrives. So does everyone just yeah flock? Yeah, all artists would just be. Um, <laughs> it's a little bit like when I was starting out as a documentary filmmaker. If there was a new documentary series on the BBC, you would watch it. Right now, there's so much. Yes, yeah. you, you miss nine tenths of it, and when you do watch something, it's fifty fifty whether it's particularly good. Um, but if you imagine when there was a new Leonardo, mm. when there was a new Caravaggio, mm. when there was a new Raphael, if you had any interest in art, yes. and particularly if you were an artist, you would definitely make a beeline. Right. Um, it's funny, isn't it, when you think about it, it's such a different time, because you always look at a painting and imagine it in our time, but it's actually... Yeah. And there, you know, there isn't. <laughs> and don't forget, you know, often these art, these paintings were done locally. So this, this is a good example where it's, it's been done and, st- and stays locally. It doesn't it doesn't go to Hampton Court for, you know, a good 150, 200 years. Um, it's it's later, 16th, 17th, 18th, 19th centuries, where all these paintings and collections start getting passed around, sold through conquest. You know, when Napoleon travelled with his hundreds of thousands of soldiers, yeah. behind them you've got the whole logistical train providing food, then you've got sometimes you've got um, families, women, uh, but you've, within all that you've also got the the those that are given the task of either mapping mm-hmm. art or just stealing it. Let's call it what it is. <laughs> so you know why does the Louvre have such an amazing collection? Because some of that stuff is nicked by Napoleon when he yeah, and you know the British were at it. The, the, I mean they're all at it. And these, the, and then sometimes monarchs get into trouble, so they have to sell up. So Philip II might sell to, I don't know, you know. Yeah. Um, so the tribes of Caesars were acquired by uh, Charles, Charles the first, first. Yeah, and he, he was a real. He was a, again the history of collection, fantastic. So he was a real collector of art. Okay. And um, so he, I don't know, I don't know what he paid, but he paid a probably probably a decent sum, and. Um, over it came. In fact, there was a very good exhibition at the Royal, the Queen's Gallery a couple of years ago, so just before COVID, about the collection of Charles I, much of which, of course, has ended up in the Royal Collection. The Royal Collection has over a million artworks. Wow. Over a million artworks. Now, some of those might be vases that Prince Philip yeah. was given by a Maori chief. Right. Still an artwork. Um, and a lot of them archived? You think? I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, they're just... No, like, I mean, you, can, you know, the palaces yeah. will have some on display. The Queen's Gallery will, you know, um, they'll do exhibitions on the basis of, you know, we filmed a Canaletto exhibition there and they'll do... Oh, okay. But most of them are just stored, stored away. away yeah. Um, uh, well, I mean, so the Royal... I remember we filmed in Windsor. We went into the library and... You, there was one corridor they showed me where the guy said to me, he said, just stop for a minute, minute and imagine this wooden corridor with these shelves and this little wooden stepladder. He said, you know, 400 years ago, I can guarantee you that Elizabeth I was standing there looking at some of these books. I mean, it's extraordinary. And I bet you were standing there working out how to move them all, Phil. <laughs> we weren't. If that guy goes off for a cuppa. He wasn't leaving us alone for a second. <laughs> I'm not surprised. But on the They've sh- heard of your reputation. But on the shelves there, 
They've got like, you know, drawings of Raphael, drawings of Leonardo. Oh, amazing. Uh, I mean, it's just <laughs> staggering what they've got. And, you know, we can all have views on it, but I mean, the, the, the conservation work they do is second to none. Yeah. And um, this, in a way, is the argument for some of these artworks staying at the British Museum or in the Royal Collection or wherever it might be, because they're very well looked after and conserved and archived and, and maybe... Uh, if they were repatriated or had never been stolen in the first place, yeah. they might have been lost. It's difficult, that one. It's That's a really difficult subject. Yeah. Because we 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 were talking about that the other day with the Ashmolean and stuff like that, weren't we? And, uh, you know, I said, oh, this little child was in front of me looking at all these little things. It was quite nice. Had they all gone back to the countries where they came from? Yeah. I don't know. But it is really, that's a very tricky subject. It is. What we're, but where we're getting to these days is, is you know, the the quality of a copy yeah. can be extremely good. So, oh, that's, yeah. so you probably could make the argument now, let's say the Elgin Marbles, which is the big one. Oh, yes. Come people fact, like Factomate, who do, do the most fantastic facsimiles, so you can't tell really well. You can barely tell. Why don't they, why doesn't someone commission them to make copies? Yeah. All right, then there's a conversation about who should get, who should have the copy and who should have the original. I'd have thought maybe it's time the original went back to yeah. the Pantheon. The Pantheon is is well looked after mm-hmm. now, and it's a. Uh, um, and yeah, that's a great idea, Phil. But you still heard got, this idea? but you still got the. I mean, ninety nine point nine nine percent of people looking at them in the British Museum wouldn't know that they were copies. No, um, and wouldn't care necessarily. Um, no, because then they could get close enough, hmm. move them about a bit, put a black cloth behind them, Van- and uh, Van Gogh <laughs> no <one> would care. <laughs> Sorry, Phil, that still makes me laugh. The Van Gogh Museum were thinking very carefully about making 3D. This is very clever. So, working towards the possibility of digitally sending a 3D copy of a Van Gogh painting. Right. So basically, they send a digital file yeah. to, say, a Japanese company that in Tokyo would then 3D. You know how you can make 3D? Yeah. You can now print out mm. things. So people talk about printing out 3D motorcycle parts or whatever it might be. So you print out the 3D painting, which looks next you know, it's a very, very high quality copy of the original. Mm-hmm. And they put that in the exhibition and it prevents the need to actually transport these fragile and in, invaluable original paintings, you know, to Japan. Yeah. I mean, I, don't, I, I mean, do you think, oh, I don't know. I don't think they've Would got there. Go, go? Be good. Well, then you have the argument that, you know, are people going because they're in presence of the original icon? Mm. So if you can't tell the difference... Then it shouldn't matter. But if you knew that one was that it was fake, mm. it probably would be a little less appealing. I don't know. It's difficult. Um, I mean, I I commissioned from a Chinese gallery a paint a copy of a Caravaggio painting. It cost me two hundred dollars, two hundred fifty dollars. It was really good in oil on canvas. <laughs> Have um, you got that in your house? Is it here? I gave it to my brother as, <laughs> as a present. <laughs> Does he know that it's a copy? <laughs> <laughs> 
a mean, good Christmas. I mean, the original is probably worth 50, <laughs> 50 to $100 million. So oh, no, you love him, Phil. Come on. I think he knows. <laughs> but um, <laughs> we've really gone off this painting, haven't we? <laughs> Well, well, okay, so well, what can we see in the painting? Well, we <laughs> I think we should say to people, that, look at yourselves. Why don't we all go to Hampton Court? Because actually, the thing that intrigues me the most about just looking at number oh, well, one, a day out. Let's have a day out with everyone from the podcast. It'll be such fun. Come it would be quite good fashion. We should do that, shouldn't yeah, we? Yeah, let's do it on a particular day. Meet, everyone meet, meet in the maze. What's the worst that could happen though? No one's going to turn up. <laughs> everyone bring a dish. <laughs> that would be so good. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think the thing that's intriguing me the most now is because we've only picked number one, mm. is that I am going to go home and see if I can see the others. And look at the other eight. Yes. But, and I think in situ, in all together, would let's, be so much so Okay, much look, let's go to Hampton Court. Yes. Find another painting to, mm. which we can talk about. Yes. Maybe get a curator to do, we'll do, oh. we'll do one of our podcasts with a local curator. Oh, that'd be amazing. And while they have a sneaky look at this, and uh, they, they would, um, yeah, I think they'd love us to come. Yeah, yeah, sure, no, no question. <laughs> well, um, even with your reputation, Phil. <laughs> they just, yeah, just don't, don't, don't let me move any busts. <laughs> yes. Um, well, we've done really well. I've got so many notes. What, 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 what are you? It was all about perspectives. Come on, then, top, then, top three factoids in your well, notes. Well, no, because I was looking at that painting, the uh, lamentation of over the dead Christ, oh. which is one of his really famous ones. That oh yes, yes, and that you. That's a really powerful. Actually, I should have put that in Eastern art. That's a great painting. It's amazing, and they found that after he died, so they don't really know. You God, can you imagine? I mean, that the perspective in that mm, is extraordinary. It is. And I do hope that everyone... Looks it up. I think they should. Yeah, yeah it's very powerful. I didn't know his work and then I saw that painting. Oh, I have seen that, that painting before. That's why our, our Easter in Art film, which is we're releasing next Easter, so Easter 2022. So can't you now put that in? No. Okay, fine. No, no, it's finished. Okay. But... Um, <laughs> That's why I keep saying it doesn't matter whether you're Christian or not. The paintings are so powerful, so mm. spiritual. Mm. Um, and there's so many different things, you know, relationship between a mother and a son. The, anyway, there's all sorts of things in okay. these paintings. But they're also a history of art because so. all great painters have dealt. I mean, it's the most painted story in history. Yes. All painters have dealt with it until recently, at least. Yes. And, um, yeah, Mantegna's... Uh, that's very powerful. I mean, it's it's halfway, isn't it, towards um, which I think is one of your favourite paintings, the Dali crucified Christ, where it's really odd perspective. You're actually on top, looking down. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, so again, yeah. playing with um, it's actually really hard to do perspective. I was looking at a Caravaggio the other day in the National Gallery mm. supper at Emmaus, and the left hand is coming towards you, and it's of a particular size. He's trying to, and they, and the person have to, has their arms outstretched, but the right hand, which is stretching away from you, but it's too big. So you, oh, you're okay. confused. Yep. So difficult to do. And that's Caravaggio, one of the greatest artists of all time. Um, Got to say, making a mistake. I can't believe he did it on purpose <laughs> to give this guy an oversized right hand. No, he didn't um, mess it up just shortly. Um, what are you saying, Phil? We can't say that. No, no. No. Um, <laughs> 
Yeah, so there's plenty plenty to look at so, yeah, Mantegna. Probably an artist that some people have not heard of. Um, definitely worth a look. Mm. Hampton Court, if you're in London, live in London, travelling through London. And maybe we might have a date 100%. to meet us. And uh, well, we'll go. Whether we want thousands of our loyal, lovely podcasters <laughs> to join us. We'll, we'll be there we'll with wait. fridge magnets. We'll wait to see. Oh, yeah, fridge magnets. <laughs> Christmas is coming. Fridge magnets in all your stockings, please. Yes. Right. See you next time. Thank you for listening to the Painting of the Week podcast. For more information, please visit our website at seventh-art.com or contact us by emailing info at seventh-art.com. See you next time.